Please now remain standing just a few moments longer as we come to our sermon text, which will be from Hebrews 11. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. This is found on page 1195. And our focus for today will be on just one verse, Hebrews 11, verse 7. I also just remind you that um, every week you have the outline there in your bulletins, and there's some good application questions to talk about after the service with your family or whomever um, that will help you apply these to your heart. So we have now Hebrews 11, 1 through 7. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up, so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Father, reading of God's word, you may be seated. Let's pray. Our great and holy God, we thank you for the examples of faith that have gone before us. And we know, Lord, that at the very center of our identity as a church is that we are to be a people of faith. And so we pray, help us to know what that means. Help us to really embrace the calling to walk by faith and not by sight, and strengthen our faith when our faith is weak or when our love is tempted to grow cold. And we pray that you do this through the powerful work of your Spirit and through your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we now pray. Amen. Well, when you're reading a a story or a fairy tale and a wise character tells the, the adventurer Whatever you do, don't go off the path. You immediately know two things. Number one, the adventurer is going to do it anyway. (laughs) And number two, it's going to be really bad. And um, Hobbit fans are probably thinking of giant spiders right now. (laughs) Now, on the flip side, it's really quite remarkable and rare when you have somebody who goes based purely on something that is spoken even when they don't see it or understand it themselves. Like, that's a pretty amazing thing when somebody just says, well, because you said so, okay, I'll do that, even when it doesn't make sense or when they don't see it for themselves. So, you know, if a veteran hiker tells you before you're about to go on a long hike, hey, I know you just bought those really nice, super expensive, super comfortable new hiking boots, but don't wear them on this trip. 
Instead, you should really wear your old ones. And you're thinking to yourself, but why? These new ones are nice, right? But you take his advice anyway, and you wear your old ones. And then your friend who's wearing the new ones gets terrible blisters, and it's just an awful experience because the boots weren't broken in. And you realize, oh, now I understand, right? Didn't understand beforehand. It's really hard when we don't understand beforehand. It's really hard for us to do what we're told to do, even if we don't. It doesn't make sense to us on the front end. Um, When we can't see how it's true and we simply have to go based on somebody's testimony, that's a really, really hard thing for us. And yet, I want you to remember that idea of doing just based on somebody's testimony. That is what faith is. Remember, faith is taking God at his word. Remember that from the very first sermon on Hebrews 11? Taking God at his word, even when we can't see ourselves how it's true, we're still going to act according to what he says. And we're going to see today how incredibly vital this is by looking at the example of Noah. We're going to see his gigantic act of faith in building the ark, um, taking God at his word, building the ark, And then we're going to see the results of his faith, and then we're going to see how Jesus encourages that kind of taking God at his word faith, that kind of faith, how Jesus brings that about in us. So, try to take yourself back to the days before the flood. Try to imagine what it's like to be living in Noah's day. And and what's it like? It's probably just like living today. One day follows another each one pretty much the same as the one who went before. And there's probably unusual events like, you know, there's unusual strong storms or, um, you know, the occasional drought or something like that, right? But basically, life just keeps on going on and on. And of course, back then, we know from Genesis 5, people lived much longer. And so that idea, that rhythm of just life going on, they would have had hundreds of years, in some cases, of experience building up this idea that one day follows another, each one very much like the one that went before. And now, just imagine what it's like to be Noah in the midst of that, in the midst of those daily rhythms. Hundreds of years into his life, God speaks to him in a vision and says, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence, so make yourself an ark. And now, this is a really big endeavor, right? Here's something that would have involved years of planning, unbelievable financial resources, labor, expense. This is no small task. And then you construct, what, this huge vessel that would be utterly worthless (laughs) if there is no flood. And, you know, lots of modern people have imagined what it would be like to be, like, around Noah while he's doing this project. And here's this guy building this enormous boat in the middle of a place where there is no water. (laughs) And the sun is shining, and the trees are swaying peacefully in the breeze. And you can just imagine what people are saying (laughs) to Noah, what ridiculous names they would have called him, what a fool he must have seemed like to everybody. And and indeed, think about it. What basis did he have for what he did? What was the basis for his action? No one could look at the weather patterns and say, oh, yep, flood, 
It's on its way. Nobody could look at the weather patterns and sense what's coming. Nobody could know of the impending disaster. The only thing that Noah had to go on, the only thing that motivated his action was God's word, his warning. And it says, Hebrews eleven seven. God warned him of events as yet unseen. That's all he had to go on. And you can imagine, as the years go on, I mean, the Bible doesn't really tell us what it was like to be Noah, just as he did it. But what must it have been like, you know, when you're years and years into this project and the sweat and the frustration of uh, doing all this without power tools, you know, um, without huge cranes, like, what was, what was going through his head? I mean, I can imagine, for my part, I'd be saying, did I really see that vision? Like, did God actually say that? <laughs> you know? And yet, what does it say in Hebrews 11? It says, Noah had reverent fear. This reverent fear towards God and towards his word led him to take God at his word. And as far as we know, God didn't need to tell him twice. Gave him the instructions, said, do it. Here's how big I want you to make it. And so he did it, and he didn't stop until he was done. And now, before we go any further, I just want us to realize that our situation is actually very, very close to Noah's situation. Where we are at in history today is very, very close to where Noah was at in his day. And I'm going based on what we just heard from Matthew 25, particularly verses 37 through 39. Let me just read them again to you. For as were the days of Noah, okay, as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Okay, so our time is very much like Noah's time. Leading up to Noah's, the the great catastrophe of Noah's flood, people were continuing in their normal lives. Today, people will continue in their normal lives up until Judgment Day. They will keep waking up, and they will wake up on the the last day, and they'll say, oh, ho-hum, it's another work day. Got to brush my teeth, got to walk the dog, got to go to work. But it will be a day like no other. And God has abundantly testified to us that the world is going to have this vast interruption. That it will not just keep on humming along, going and going and going. No, there will be the great interruption of the coming of the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, in power at an hour that nobody will be able to perceive ahead of time. You won't be able to hear or see it coming. It will be entirely unpredictable. There will be no way to say, oh, better get my act together because tomorrow is when Jesus comes back. Now, the only way you will be able to know it's coming and be prepared for it's coming is if right now you are basing that conclusion on what God has spoken in his word. We are in very much the same situation as Noah's day. And now let's look at what Noah did. He had this word from God that there's going to be this surprise, this, this enormous catastrophe. And what did he do? It says he had faith, by faith, He built the ark. And that faith had implications, huge implications. 
And we're going to look at three results. This is our second point here. What are the three outcomes of Noah's faith? Because they're going to be related to the three outcomes of our faith, too. So it says, Noah saved his household. That's the first result of his faith. Look at the middle of verse 7. He constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And so why did Noah's wife and his sons and his sons' wives, and we could add all of us here today, (laughs) how did we make it through the flood? Because Noah had faith. When everybody else thought he was a fool and an idiot for doing what he was doing, he actually was, in the end, vindicated. And it wasn't just him. He saved not only himself, but also his family. And in the same way, you, today, your faith is not only for yourself. Your faith will not just lead to your own salvation through the judgment that is to come. No, your faith is going to have implications, saving implications for other people. I mean, how many of us here today are people who grew up in Christian families and who believe because of the testimony of our parents? How many people here today are believers because of friends who not just believed, but also taught us to believe? You, when, you, when you believe, it is not just for the saving of yourself. It will be for the saving of others. Second, this. Your faith won't always have happy results when it comes to other people. Did you notice the second thing it says? Through his faith and through his constructing the ark, he condemned the world. He condemned the world. And, you know, that condemning of the world wasn't primarily because of words that he said. At least that's not what's in view here. It says, by this, that is, by his act of faith in building the ark, by this act of faith in building the ark, he condemned the world. It was his action that condemned the sinful human race. And and here's how. Think about this. Here's Noah building the ark, and he's beginning in construction. And even before he began, the world should have known. Romans 1 tells us everyone knows that there is a God and that we owe him our, our allegiance and our worship. And everyone knows that he is going to judge the world in righteousness, whether they think they know it or not. Many people suppress that truth in unrighteousness. So everybody should have known ahead of time, hey, there is a God and I'm not pleasing him. I should repent. But then God gives, him this, gives them all this sign. And he gives them this guy, Noah, who's a guy of good reputation. He's not, you know, insane. And he does this thing that makes no sense, at least to anybody looking on the outside. He's building this this huge, (laughs) ridiculously huge boat. And he says it's at God's command. That's a huge sign. That wasn't just for Noah. It wasn't just, hey, this is is a way you're going to be saved. No, the entire world witnessed this construction and no doubt knew the reason for this construction. And yet what happened? They did nothing. They didn't start construction on their own boat. They just laughed. They just wrote it off. And so the fact that they still did not repent, even amid this great sign that God gave, is their condemnation. By Noah's humble willingness to act on faith when no one else was willing to do the same, Noah condemned the world. And in the same way, brothers and sisters, your obedient faith will provoke opposition. It will condemn those around you who refuse to believe. Paul says this. He says, To you, Christians, you are the aroma of life to those who are being saved, but to those who are perishing, you are the stench 
of death. And your willingness, not just to believe in your heart of hearts that Jesus saves you from the wrath to come, but also in your willingness to act upon it and make real costly decisions, you are going to stir opposition. Like, if you honestly believe that God's, the flood of God's wrath is about to come, you're going to start speaking about it. You're going to start telling people, hey, it's time to get right with God while there's still time. You're going to start giving sacrificially to the work of the church. You're going to give of your time and energy and make really big offensive life decisions or even maybe small offensive life decisions that will have an effect on other people. Like, hey, coworker friends, no, I'm not going to go out and get drunk with you guys because I believe in Jesus. And you will condemn the world through your actions of faith. And so we need to be prepared for this, that the result of our faith will not just be the salvation of others besides ourselves, but also be the condemnation of those who refuse to repent. And then there's this third result. It says this, by his faith, Noah became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. And of course, this is the great treasure that comes when we trust in Jesus. We get a righteousness that comes by faith. In other words, a righteousness that we couldn't have earned ourselves. Even Noah, really great hero of the faith that he was. What do we read after the ark? He got drunk in his tent, right? And he shamed himself there. What is that showing us? Noah himself, righteous man though he was, he needed a righteousness that was perfect, that was beyond the ability of human ability to get. He received that by living by faith. And so Noah, he took God at his word. It led to three results. Not just his own salvation, but the saving of others the condemnation of the world who refused to listen to him, and he himself became an heir of that true righteousness that saved him not only through the flood, but also the great judgment that is to come. And what I want to say to you is that in this time leading up to the final judgment, this great flood, which will not be with water, it will be with fire, Second Peter 3 tells us, that if you have true faith, if you are really taking God at his word and acting on it, that God will deliver you and he will bring these results through you as well, even when it is hard. And it's this last part about how hard faith is that I want us to talk about in our third point. Real faith, the kind of faith that takes action on the basis of what God has said and that takes action exclusively based on what he has said, what God has said, that kind of faith is really hard. And I want to talk about three ways in which it's hard. First, it is hard because taking God at his word means you will need to embrace things that God says in his word, biblical doctrines, even when they are unpopular, even when they don't make sense to you, even when they really, frankly, offend you. Sometimes we read our Bible and we're energized. We're like, oh man, this is so encouraging. I love this. It's the, the great, you know, encouragement verses that people put up in their homes or, you know, the Christian bumper sticker, right? Those kinds of verses where we're just like, yes, I'm feeling so energized. Other times, the Bible stretches us. We read, we read something in our, our reading through the Bible, and we're like, oh, please no. That can't mean what I think it's saying. <laughs> Maybe I just need to re- reinterpret this, right? <laughs> please, it can't be saying that. Like, it's not fun to think about the final judgment. Nobody likes thinking about the doctrine of hell. 
There's a reason why when churches begin to slide in their faithfulness, that's the first doctrine to go, right? It starts with not talking about it, and then it makes, eventually gets into actually openly denying the doctrine of hell and the doctrine of God's judgment. And they start saying, oh, well, everybody will be saved. And it's also not fun as you're reading through the Bible to hear the full extent of human sin, just how deep that goes. The fact that if God hadn't chosen us, that if he hadn't converted us and intervened in our life, that we never would have chosen him. That there, and this is hard, that, there's, that we simply cannot obey or have faith unless God gives it to us as a gift. That's offensive. It's hard. And we can't believe those things, those humble, sobering teachings easily, and yet there they are. They're in God's Word. So sometimes God's Word doesn't make sense to us. Sometimes it's confusing to us. Sometimes it doesn't sit well with us. This is one of the reasons why faith that's based on God's Word is hard. Another reason why it's hard is that it will go against how you feel. So even those sort of happier passages, like there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1, even those passages are hard sometimes for us to live in such a way as if it were true because it goes against how we feel. Think about all the people in Noah's day. They didn't feel like the world was about to end. They wake up on a beautiful sunny day. Not the end of the world today. Let's have a great time. Many Christians know in their minds that their sins are completely forgiven, Romans 8.1, but they still feel guilty, and so they live as if they are guilty. Many Christians know that the Bible says that they are incredibly gifted by God's Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12.7, and therefore incredibly useful to the body. Everybody is, 1 Corinthians 12.7, and yet they still feel weak and useless, and so they are passive and inactive as if they were worthless. Whereas really living by faith, the kind of faith that we see in Noah, where he says, God said it, I'm going to act as if it's true. Really living by faith requires us to be principled people, where our emotions, they're there, but they're not in the driver's seat. Where we're living based on, okay, principled, like what does it actually say in the Bible? I'm going to live as if that is true, even when I don't feel like it, even when it doesn't make sense. That kind of principled action, integrity based on, okay, if God says it, that's the thing that needs to shape how I act. That's hard. Finally, this. This is another reason why it's hard to live in this way, is that taking God at his word is going to require very big changes in your life. It's going to require a radically different way of living. And just to kind of illustrate this, I was reading this novel um, about a woman who lived in the legendary island of Atlantis, and she kind of, you know, it's this really, really glorious high civilization, and she learns through this kind of special means that the island is going to be destroyed in a short time through a huge volcanic eruption. Now, if you knew that, would it change how you would live? Well, it did for this, this lady. What did she start doing? She started getting ships together, packing boxes of really important stuff, and everybody around her is like, what are you doing? Right? They thought she was an idiot. Well, they didn't think that when the volcano erupted. They realized, wow, okay, 
that lady knew what she was doing. If we believe that God's judgment is hurtling towards us at an hour we do not know, it will change how you live. It needs to change how you live. We need to stop blowing tons of time on entertainment. We need to stop blowing tons of cash on our pleasures. We need to start being the people that 1 Peter 1 describes, who know that they're living in the last days, who are sober-minded, watchful, preparing their minds for action. Living by faith is hard. That kind of life that I'm just describing to you, that person who lives in light of an imminent end, that kind of person, that, that kind of faith is not an easy thing. It requires us to believe what God says even when it doesn't make sense. It requires us to g- believe it and act on it even when our emotions are going the other direction. And it requires us to make massive life changes. It is hard. But the good news is this. Jesus will be sufficient. And this is why. Why are you willing to trust somebody even when it doesn't make sense to you? Like that initial illustration with the hiker, right? The, the veteran hiker. Why would you trust that guy? Well, you would trust him because, hey, that guy knows what he's talking about. He's been on a lot of hikes. And not only that, he's my friend. He cares for me. Okay, what God is asking for you is something even bigger than sort of deferring to your friend on a hiking decision. He is asking for absolute trust. He is asking for you to completely submit your reason and your emotions and your entire life to him. On what basis would you be willing to do such a thing if not that God is infinitely wise and infinitely good? And he is. He is infinitely wise. Look around you. Look at this world. Do you think anything, anyone other than an almighty, all-wise God could make this extraordinary world? And then, he is all-loving. All you have to do is look to the cross to know this. Look at, look at what God did for you in your peril. In, in the judgment that's coming, he didn't just say, well, sorry about you. No, he did what he did in the case of Noah. He said, here's the pathway through the judgment. I want you to build an ark. That's what he said to Noah. It's going to be the way through judgment. God has made a way through judgment, and it's through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the first recipient of the final judgment of God. That's what happened on the cross. The end times judgment of God entered the world, broke into the world, and it came upon Jesus first. Jesus, in receiving that judgment on himself, which he did not deserve, but which we did, in receiving that on himself, he became the ultimate ark. So that when you are in Jesus Christ, you are in the only vessel that will carry you through the final fires of judgment. Jesus has paved the path. And when you think about that kind of love, this is the idea I want you to understand. When you think about that kind of love, and you think about the kind of wisdom God has, where it's like, well, God says it, but it doesn't make sense to me. I think I'll trust him instead of my own understanding. I'd rather go based on what God says than what human thoughts are capable of. When you think of those two things, God's wisdom and his love, it powers true faith that leads to action. Some of you are not living as if the end of the world is on its way. James 5.3, some of you are storing up earthly treasure when it is the last days. No more.
It's time to start taking God at his word, to start living with sobriety, start living in light of the end, and the cross is the great reason. Brothers and sisters, if you have true biblical faith, it is going to profoundly change your lives. It is now time to live as if God, if, as if everything that he said in the Bible is true, because it is. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you've given us not just the word of warning, but you've also given us the gift of faith so that we can receive and actually act upon the word of warning. We pray that you would grant to us humble faith and humble repentance, that, Lord, we would live in light of your warning, that we would get busy about the good work of preparation that you've given us to do. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful world. We thank you for the sun that shines and the wind that blows. But we know it is hurtling towards a great interruption, the coming of the judge of the world, who, who will indeed judge according to righteousness. And Lord, thank you that as we look to that great day, we have a path that leads to life. We have the gift of the righteousness that comes by faith so that we can stand on that great day. Lord, we pray that our faith would not only lead to our salvation, but the salvation of many others. And that even while the world at times feels condemned by our faith, that, Lord, we would not shrink back from being faithful witnesses. Only you can actually work this faith in us, we pray. Strengthen our faith, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.